strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right. Uh, appreciate you spending some time with the show. Uh, talked about this this morning right at the beginning at 8.15. And uh, I've got to go down this road again, and it's difficult. So I'm trying to keep my thoughts in order. I was asked uh, and I was invited to uh, an exclusive uh, screening yesterday of the October 7th video where the attacks um, on Israel happened. And I knew that I was going to be seeing something gruesome. I wasn't sure if I wanted to see it. I had mixed feelings, but I knew I needed to go. Um, to say that I'm glad that I went, I, that, it, it's not, I'm not glad that I went. Uh, I, but I am, I did need to see what I saw. And I think many, many, many of us need to see what I saw. Um, there is an ideology that is not limited to Hamas or the Palestinian Islamic Jihad or the Houthis or Hezbollah. There is an ideology that is spread in parts of this world in which they truly believe that they are doing God's work in annihilating other human beings. It is a there's one thing to say people have a lack of respect for human life. They don't even believe that the Jews, the Israelis are human. They call them dogs throughout this video. They call them dogs. Um, it was a horrifying thing to see the mutilation of human bodies. But you can numb yourself to a lot of that. There was some things I had to look away from. But you can numb yourself to that. We've seen enough. It's available enough that death or even murder is something that you can witness without it shocking your system. But what shocked me was the joy. I, I, I can't I cannot give you another word. The absolute happiness in which they were doing this. And so you think, OK, you've got a radicalized bunch of people that, you know, in this case, hundreds of people that a thousand people, whatever it was that that stormed Israel and went into these towns and and went into a military barracks and other places, a music festival and murdered a bunch of people. These radicalized gangs, we see gangs all the time. And you would think that a street gang that has the ability, you look at MS-13, a street gang in the U.S. that uh, uses um tactics of terrorism where they don't just kill people, they mutilate them and set their bodies on fire, sending a message to their enemies. And you think, okay, that is such a small portion of what we have in our communities. This looked to be an entire community. Um, when they brought back hostages and bodies into Gaza, the sheer joy on the people in the streets, cheering, I mean, absolute pandemonium and cheering, thanking God. God is great. Allah Akbar. Um, that's what was shocking to me is that it is how many times in our country that people return home from war and they are dealing with emotional issues, whether you call it PTSD, whatever you call it, they deal with issues of what they've witnessed and what they had to do in their line of duty as a member of the military. And it's something that they live with for the rest of their lives. Many of them don't want to talk about it. They realize they were doing their duty. It was a job they had to do, but they didn't take joy in it. These people were overjoyed in what they were doing. I watched... Um, in this video, the beheading of two bodies, people that were already dead, um, but mutilation, um, the murder of children, 
the indiscriminate killing at a music festival of just gunning people down, treating people like target practice. Um, cars driving by with no really not understanding what was about to happen and then opening fire on them with a rifle. One of the opening scenes was a dash cam video from inside a victim's car. And so they could see people standing in the street and they were driving as almost they did almost as if they didn't know what was happening. And then they just opened fire and you could see the windshield cracking and the bullets inside the car. And then they switched the view to a body camera or a cell phone video from the terrorists themselves. As this car rolled slowly past them, they just continued to shoot the people in the car. Um, one of the scenes showed two people pull up to a gate and they just opened fire on this couple in this car and you could just see the bullets destroying their bodies. I can't describe it any other way. But again, throughout the entire thing, it was the joy. There was a phone call during, and in the phone call, it was a son who had murdered a bunch of Jews, and he had picked up one of their cell phones to call his parents to tell them how proud they should be of their son, that he had killed at least 10 Jews with his own hands. Father was on the phone, was so proud of his son, Mother got on the phone, so proud of her son, celebrating the fact that he was calling them from a cell phone of somebody he had just murdered. That joy in what they were doing, the joy on the faces of the people when they brought hostages, women and uh, young men and brought them into Gaza, the joy on the, in the streets of Gaza. So I, I'm certainly not trying to demonize every Palestinian uh, I'm not trying to say that every Palestinian is overjoyed at the death of Jews, but I am saying to you that this is a much bigger problem than the people wear a uniform and call themselves Hamas or call themselves Hezbollah or any of these other organizations, that this is this is rooted in their culture. Um, just so you're aware that on October 6th, the day before this happened, there were no occupiers in Gaza. The Jews had left in 2005, and the Palestinian Authority and the Palestinians elected, and, and Hamas is the government. And so the, the Israelis began the fight to get rid of all of these people that were committing these acts. And I want you to think about I, – I mean I don't – I guess I do want you to think about it. It's why I'm talking about it, but it's a horrible thing to think about that – Imagine if you're an Israeli. Imagine if you're you're sitting in that room and you're watching this happen and you realize that these are your neighbors and these are people that hate you so much you so much as a people, not as an individual. That they indiscriminately not only murder people, but they take joy in it and then they mutilate the bodies and celebrate the mutilation and death. And then they run back to their side of the border. And then when the Israelis say, we are going to make sure this never happens again, they play the role of victim. They play the role of a victim and act as if the Israelis are doing something wrong. And they gave warning. Imagine the, the use of if this happened here. Imagine if it happened here in this state. And we warned, it's dumb to say, but we warned New Mexico, um, you've got two days, three days to move, and you're going to move east because we're coming to get rid of the terrorists. And they use that kind of restraint. And now they've pushed the terrorists all the way south to Rafa. 
And Egypt, and this is something else that's very telling. All of these Arab nations that are calling for a ceasefire, that are calling for humanitarian this and that, none of those Arab nations are opening their doors to bring in Palestinian refugees. There's got to be a reason for that. Egypt is right there on their doorstep. They could easily, with the permission of Israel, with the permission of other nations and the help of other nations, they could have built refugee camps early on in this in Egypt and allowed the Palestinians that wanted nothing to do with war to go in there and to have a safe place, and they haven't done it. There's a reason why Arab nations want nothing to do with opening their doors to these refugees. I, I, what I saw was life-changing. It is going to change how I talk about this. It is going to change how I feel about this. And I think that every adult should witness this because if they do it there, they would do it here. This ideology is alive. This ideology is is despicable. All right. Uh, what we're going to do in a moment is we're going to talk with someone. We're going to talk with Ken Peterson, VP of Sales and Marketing from Shea Homes, a conversation about the economy, but the housing market and what's going on in Arizona and what's going to happen this year. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us, spending more money at the grocery store. We are we are hoping to talk with Ken Peterson, VPL Sales and Marketing for Shea Homes, uh, in just a moment. If we can, if we have time for him, we're going to get him on. I want to talk about the housing market. It all plays a role. The, the huge increase in inflation over the last few years has hammered people in the places that are most important, food, fuel, and shelter. Um, we know that housing prices couldn't, you know, remain high. This is a, it is the dichotomy of a great economy. When you have the economy that Arizona has, you find that you have homes uh, that are more expensive, which is good for people that own a home. Your home value goes up. It's a lot of that equity is what people rely on when they get older. Uh, owning a home is about financial stability. But what does it do to people that are trying to enter the home market? That's part of it. Uh, we are paying 25% more now for groceries than we did at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, the prices continue to rise at a faster pace than wages do in many cases. And these are the necessities. I keep a very close eye and pay attention to and talk with the people at um, St. Mary's Food Bank and the others, but especially at St. Mary's because I know them very well. I know the work. We work with them quite a bit. And what they do at St. Mary's Food Bank is important. Um, and the, uh, the reason why I keep in touch with them is because they give out emergency food boxes. And these are families that are having a difficult time making ends meet. And uh, they're having a difficult time making ends meet. So what they're doing is reaching out to get food. And these are working families. These are people that are, um, you know, pay their bills and go to work. And they're finding out that by the time they put fuel in their vehicle, they pay their electric bill, they pay their rent or their mortgage. The one thing they don't have is enough money to buy enough food to feed their family for the rest of the week. So they're going out and getting food assistance. Many of these are families that when they've asked them, they've been willing to talk about it. Never imagine they'd find themselves in that position. The number of people in need of assistance for food has not dropped off. And part of it has to do with these extreme costs that we see when it comes to the cost of these items. It is fascinating to me um, that we continue to watch this happen. And when we, we look at what's happening in the food industry, I understand the policy differences. I get upset about it like everybody else does. But the difference here, when you have the president of the United States calling out the grocery industry, um, I know some of the food growers. Uh, I know some of the people. These are hardworking families. 
And when you have a rancher and, and suing in northern Arizona saying, you know, the president came here last year in August and declared a national monument. And the declaration of this national monument um, is infringing on our ability to feed the cattle that we raise to provide beef for families throughout the United States. It is hammering our business. We cannot do our jobs. It, it, that to me is a serious issue. It is one of those policy decisions that does have an adverse effect on what's happening. So we can either turn around and watch our government say it is private industry's fault, blame the oil companies, blame the gas companies, blame the food growers, blame the grocery stores themselves, blame all of these people. You can do that. Or we can ask the people that we elect to office, what is it? What is it that you're doing to make it easier for working families? I talked about elections earlier. Um, 16% of Americans believe that Joe Biden has helped the middle class. And I think that's a great statistic, and I'll tell you why. Um, in my humble opinion, we should be a lot more concerned about who we elect to our state legislature and who we elect as a governor than we should ever worry about who we elect to Congress and who we elect to the presidency. And I will tell you, there are a lot of people that we've elected to Congress that I know and that I have a great amount of respect for. I don't mean that as a sign of disrespect. What I mean is... What happens at home? We should be more concerned here. If the presidency has that big of an effect on your life, then we have given way too much power. And I would even go as far as to say a lot more power to the presidency than the founding fathers ever, ever intended. The, the founding fathers said, you know, when they wrote the Constitution, it expressly says that any power that is not given directly, expressly given through the Constitution to the federal government is is assumed to be the power of the states. They were a state's rights. That document limited the power of the federal government. But we are watching policies at the federal level, EPA and all of these other agencies that are causing prices. It's not just taxation, but causing things to go up and be a lot more expensive. All right, coming up in a moment, uh, we're going to get you updated on these elections. We're going to talk about the poll numbers. I'm going to give you an idea of what the American people are saying about the election moving forward. We'll do it next. Said it before, I'll say it again. God bless Waylon Jennings. Uh, appreciate you being here. Talked about this earlier. Uh, still having a back and forth with someone that is, uh, and we'll just go history real quick. Um, I've talked about this before. Uh, I've been doing this now for quite a while. I, I've been doing this, uh, I mean radio, since the Bush administration. And even before that part-time, I, I shouldn't say, yeah, I guess during the Bush administration part-time and then full-time and into a more of it as, as time went on. And I remember uh, people on my side of the aisle, and I was trying to calm people down then. Um, Barack Obama is going to ruin the country. And then after his first term in office, after he beat John McCain and won his first term as the president of the United States, and then Mitt Romney was our nominee for the Republican Party the second time around. And the narrative within Republican circles was that this president, meaning Barack Obama, is trying to destroy the country from the inside out. And that if we reelect Barack Obama, we will never get our country back. We will ruin this country beyond the point that we passed the point of no return. And we will never recover if we reelect Barack Obama, which I said then it isn't true. That's not true. I didn't want to see him get reelected from my political perspective, but it's not true. Sure enough. 
uh, Barack Obama gets reelected. He serves another four years as the president. And then the nation elects Donald Trump president of the United States. And within 18 months, this is according to my side of the aisle, Republicans. Within 18 months, we had the best economy this country had seen in 50 or 60 years. Jobs through the roof, lowest unemployment, wage increases, no inflation. Things were rocking. This is, again, from a Republican perspective. So just 18 months earlier, uh, go back a few years, you said if we reelect Barack Obama, he would wreck the country to a point where we'd never recover. And we recovered in less than two years. Again, I'm giving you a perspective of one side of the aisle. Fast forward. What do we hear from Democrats? Donald Trump is going to ruin this country. If we reelect Donald Trump, we're going to we'll die. It's the worst thing that could ever possibly happen. This has been going on since I was young. Uh, Ronald Reagan was going to get us into World War III. What was he doing with the Soviets? And he shouldn't be anywhere near the nuclear codes. And George W. Bush is too dumb to hold office. And all of these things that were said back and forth politically. Here we are again. Having the same conversations with people about how we'll never get our country back. Donald Trump is going to change the laws so that America's never the same and there won't be any checks and balances. And in the end, that's just not true. That the president of the United States plays a big role in what we do and how we do it. There are a lot of privileges that come with the presidency. So we should choose very carefully. But when it gets to a point that the president of the United States does have as much power as the fear mongers say that the president has, we have given way too much power to the presidency and the federal government. I think we already have. That's my personal opinion. I am a state. I would much rather be very critical and very concerned about how our state legislature and our governor does things because it impacts us so severely that I want to worry about the president because I can help control who we elect as governor more directly, who we elect to the state legislature and to city councils more directly. I can't control Nancy Pelosi as the Speaker of the House. I have no say in that. So I look at the local government more so. But in a recent poll, and this one from Emerson College, Trump leads Biden in Pennsylvania by six points. The reason why that's significant is we are seeing a lot of polls showing that it's very, very close. Uh, It's a toss up which one of these two would win if these two end up being the candidates. And I keep saying that qualifier because Nikki Haley hasn't dropped out of the race yet. I want to be fair to her candidacy and to her campaign. As long as she's a candidate, I'm going to consider her a candidate until it's mathematically impossible for her to win. I do not want to. Now, again, if I had to put money down, I would bet on Donald Trump being the nominee, just like everybody else would. I'm just trying to be fair. But in a head-to-head battle, we are seeing the door open a little bit for Trump. I said earlier, only 16% of Americans believe that Joe Biden helped the middle class. At some point, we have to have leaders that are going to stand up and say, stop looking looking to the government to fix things for you. I watched this very interesting commentary from Charles Barkley. Um, 
I love Charles Barkley. I don't always agree with him. He certainly would not always agree with me. But I love a guy that's just honest and from the heart. And if he makes people that are considered to be on his side angry, he doesn't care. He gives his opinion. And he was talking with a group of players and said he voted Democrat his whole life. And he looked around and said all the people he grew up with are still poor. We have to stop looking to the government to save us. we got to go out and work hard and make our own way and stop believing the government's going to help us gain anything. And that's not a Democratic perspective. That's a perspective from every human being. We have to stop. First of all, we're the voters. We give them the power to do the things they do. We have to stop giving them so much power. If you believe that they control your ability to succeed, we as a voter demographic have given them too much power. But poll numbers are showing First of all, if you're betting how you look at them, that nobody knows for sure which one of these two candidates is going to win. And I don't care who you are. If you look at them each individually with their flaws and everything else that comes with it, you have to wonder how the other side isn't winning in a landslide. If you're an independent voter that has no um, really no opinion in the fight other than looking at them. Uh, both candidates and you would say we, we've got a former president that's running again who just got convicted of fraud in New York, whether you believe it's legitimate or not. And he's been ordered to pay over three hundred million dollars and he's got a lot more court cases coming. Uh, we're aware of Twitter and we're aware of the things that are said at rallies and we're aware of all of these things. How is it that he's winning in any polls against Joe Biden? And then you look at Joe Biden and you say, OK, his brother's testifying now about his business deals. There's questions about the influence he had in his son's business deals. Um, again, we can talk about the Hunter Biden problems. You've got his own Department of Justice that said he has memory loss, that he's that he can't even help in his own defense. One of the reasons why they didn't ch weren't going to charge him with crimes. The part of it is he's the president of the United States. The other part of it is he would be seen as a sympathetic figure, as an old man that just has lost his memory that doesn't have the ability. And there's in this testimony in the times that they spent um, with the deposing the president in all of this, Congress is trying to get a hold of that because they want to find out just what happened. And with all of that going on, there's still a really good chance he's going to win the presidency. If you're on the other side of the aisle, you got to wonder how that's possible. My point is there's a big chunk of America that see big flaws in both of these candidates. And if they end up being the candidates from each political party, if they are the two candidates standing at the end, America is going to have to look at the resumes of both of them and decide which of them is best capable of leading. Not the best one for the job necessarily. The best one of the choices they have. And that's the difference. You have two choices. Which are you going to choose? And we'll see. I'm anxious to see what America decides. It's not going to be an easy decision. And you look at the good and the bad and the indifferent. And we've got two resumes to choose from. And we're going to see. And that's me taking emotion out of it. I'm just looking at the facts. In a moment, we shift to the border. Uh, 7.2 migrants have entered illegally into the U.S. since 2021. It's a lot of people. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong. 
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, NASCAR returns to Phoenix Raceway March 9th through the 11th for the Shriners Children's 500. Get ready for the thrilling experience as NASCAR heads west and drivers like Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, and take on the Desert Jewel for your chance to experience this Head to the Challenge contest page at KTAR.com for your chance to win tickets. All right. Um, been talking about the border for a long time. We're going to continue. And I say a long time. I mean, as long as I've been doing this, it has been an issue. And it's morphed and it's changed with the conversation. But now it's worse than it's ever been. And America's gotten to a place now. And I see it differently. I haven't heard anybody else say it this way yet. And there's got to be people that see it like I see it. We've got a place of agreement. If I'm a Republican leader, if I'm if I'm a if I'm Juan Siscomani, if I'm uh, Andy Biggs, if I'm uh, David Schweiker, if I'm any of those guys in the House, if I'm a Republican senator, um, I mean, if it were me, if I were Lindsey Graham in the in the Senate. I would be standing up in my time to speak and I would be saying to the American people and I would be saying to the American press whenever I was asked to be on one of the Sunday news shows. And I would say for the first time we're in agreement on something. You guys want to talk about this border deal failing and how bad it was. OK, um, it, it, maybe we should have gotten into the floor debate, but we've achieved something here. For the last three plus years, all we have heard from the White House, while the nation watches our borders fall apart, 7.2 million people have crossed our border illegally since 2021, more than the population of 36 states. That's what's happened. Now, in January, we've heard the president of the United States call it a crisis. We've heard Corrine Jean-Pierre, who has consistently said the border is secure, say it's a crisis. We have heard the Homeland Security Secretary say it. We have heard the vice president say it. They now agree with Republicans that we have a crisis at our southern border. Well, was that just political showmanship when they said that? Believing that if they called it a crisis, then Republicans would be boxed into supporting something they didn't believe in. Or if they really believe it's a crisis, why did we spend so much time uh, passing a foreign aid bill through the Senate that didn't include border stuff, but we don't have the same Chuck Schumer's resolve in saying we're not leaving this building until we get something done on border security? That's what I would be saying. 7.2 million people. All you have to do is look at the videos of what's happening. All you have to do is allude to the fact that there are over... 100,000 unaccompanied minors in this country in the last few years that we have no idea where they are. That the agency, Health and Human Services, that were supposed to vet people properly before sending a child into someone's home, 100,000, they don't even know where they are, never mind what condition they're in. The Dreamers, two presidents ago, we had a president that came up with the Dream Act, which is an executive order that protected children that were brought here by parents but don't have an American birth certificate or Social Security numbers or anything else because they're not citizens of this country. They're not going back to where they came from. We know that to be true. They're protected to work here in the U.S. They want to be contributors to the U.S. They want to join the military. They want to join the police force. They want to join the fire department. They want to be contributors. This is the only country they know. And two presidents later, we can't figure out what to do with the dreamers. 
Why is it that it's only one side of the aisle that goes on the offensive and says this is what the American people want? What you end up seeing is party speak. You hear right wing this and right wing that and liberal this and liberal that. And in the end, the American people agree. This is one of those issues that transcends everything. I could what we should do someday. What we should do is play a little game. Maybe we'll come up with this game. Don't steal the idea. If you're if you do a talk show, we should come up with quotes about the border and just say, okay, who said it? Was it Donald Trump or was it Mayor Adams in New York? Or was it voters in Chicago? Was it the governor of Massachusetts? Was it the governor of Texas? Who said it? And a lot of times you wouldn't know the difference. Can't take any more people. We'll fool. We can't. Don't come. Don't come here anymore. We're overwhelmed. Is that the governor of Texas? Or is that Mayor Adams in New York? Maybe it's both. We've got the American people in agreement that we need emergency border security and we can't get anyone to move on it. And I'm telling you, as sure as I'm sitting in this chair, the American voters have no idea what power they really have. We continue to say it's a rigged game. And my vote doesn't count. And I know there's a lot of people that listen to this show in passing when they're driving around town and they have strong opinions about what can and should be done, but they don't get involved in the process. And I understand it. I understand the ugliness of politics that you don't want to get dirty. There's an old saying, an old pastor friend of mine would talk about when you would preach a sermon, he would talk about sin. And he would say, have you ever noticed that if you put on white gloves and you grab the mud that the mud doesn't get glovey. It's a pretty interesting thing. Your gloves get muddy, you get dirty, but the mud doesn't get glovey. So the people with the white gloves stay away from the mud. There are people out there that avoid the process because it's dirty. You're the ones that can change it. The people that are not engaged, that are registered to vote that don't or aren't registered at all are the people that are needed to make the change. The same electorate continues to elect the same candidates to the same offices with the same results. You want to change who we elect, you got to change the people that are voting. Increase those numbers. Increase the diversity in opinions. Increase the power of the electorate. It's the only way it's going to change. All right, I'm off my soapbox. I'm off it. Just after 11 o'clock, we are going to shift at 11.05. We are going to shift to the Kansas City shooting and crime and punishment in America, as I believe the pendulum is swinging. At 11.20, we do Did You Hear This? All of this is coming up in the final hour of the show. I hope you'll stick around for it. We have a lot coming up uh, in just a few moments. We'll be back.